This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. What's up? What's happening? Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson, and Logan, this is the first official podcast of the Josh Harris era. We made it. Right. We did it. We did it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting, man. You know, like I, I'm not a guy who gets overly excited, you know what I mean, about stuff. I'm pretty low-key. But, uh, yeah, you know, you love, you love a, a good third down call more than you do an ownership change. That's at least right. Conceptually, I, until we got to the ownership change. Until we got to the ownership change. And I think, um, yeah, we'll talk about this more, but like being at the event, and I wish I could have gone to the event at the bullpen. It sounded like it was awesome. But being at the event at the stadium on Friday was, was like kind of eye opening for me. So we'll talk about that more, I guess, in a minute. Yeah. Uh, also, there's some offensive uh, offensive innovation happening in the league that has caught Logan's eye. We'll talk about that a little yeah. bit later in the podcast. But we are going to start with the ownership change. Obviously, the the biggest story ahead of training camp, and we will do our full training camp preview on the the second pod this week. That'll come out on Thursday. So, um, I I was blown away, if I'm being honest, with everything that that's happened over you know the last that 48 hour stretch from yeah. harris's initial comments to like the unanimous vote was not surprising um i do think it's hilarious the nba also just had a vote on an ownership change in charlotte uh they uh michael jordan sold the team to some other rich guys and uh james dolan the owner of the knicks voted against it i don't know why um but it's just <laughs> like james dolan is the dan snyder of the nba and he's a gigantic pain in the ass at all times so of course he did um, even if he might have had some reason to do it, yeah. uh, just assume that he's being terrible. Anyway, this is not a kill James Dolan podcast. There are entire podcasts dedicated to that. But to to see Harris's comments, um, some kind of tacit acknowledgments of some bad things that Snyder did, not not just like misconduct bad, but like did a bad job running the team in a particular yeah. way and like kind of facing some of that stuff head on through the way he answered questions on Friday. And, and again, same kind of thing to just the energy and the way he interacted with the crowd. And to me, Logan, um, the, the two things that stood out are, I think Snyder was consistently inhumane and consistently incompetent. And when I say inhumane, like out of touch, there was no human touch yeah. to anything he did. And I think Harris, whether on purpose or just by nature, hit those two chords tremendously well. There was a human touch to all of it. And there was a competency that in his words and in his message and in, in clearly his vision that came across just in his opening comments, nevertheless, what we'll ultimately see when they become action. Yeah, I think like kind of you're probably saying this, but like a like the professionalism element of mm -hmm. it, right? Like it just was like you could tell he's done it before. He's he's owned teams. He knows the process. Like even at the press conference, um, you know, they've got they've got the right people there. Like Joe Gibbs is there. They've got the, the you know some some very recognizable older faces they had a whole alumni section they invited uh, i want to say it was like probably 50 or 100 people they had lunch beforehand with the ownership group and you know they got to meet them kind of one-on-one -on -one. i just thought that was a really good idea 
you know, and like, like good ideas and like making sure you're connected to the past of the team and kind of, you know, especially in this environment of like the name change and all this stuff, like just acknowledging that those guys are a part of this culture and a part of this organization. I thought was great. Um, you know, like the way he communicated kind of his vision, it's about winning. I think the other thing that was interesting too, was that like not an insignificant number of the ownership group were former athletes at some level, right? Like he's a former wrestler, Josh Harris, obviously Magic Johnson, the other gentleman, I'm forgetting his name at the moment. Um, uh, Mitchell of, Rails or Mitchell Mark Rails. Yeah, yeah. Mitchell Rails is a former football player. Like he was a very good, like high school kind of almost college player, but has a lot of respect and admiration for the sport. And I just thought, man, that's something that is nice. You know, and again, like, I'm not saying that's, that's like super critical, but it was just nice to hear them kind of acknowledge the, the struggles of the players, you know, like the, it's difficult, the lack of support they've had over the last couple of years. Um, and you know, it's, it's just words really at this point, but like in terms of like checking a box, like the press conference was great. And then you mentioned like, you know, I was hosting that event uh, or I was emceeing, not hosting, I was emceeing the event on Friday and to see him come out like kind of like a rock star, you know what I'm saying? And high five and doing autographs, you know, every like it just, it felt very, real it felt very like i don't think i've ever seen dan do anything like that in my whole time here you know and so like it just felt very different and just to hear the support of the crowd for him and and the excitement of the of the of the environment was something that i guess i didn't really expect so it was a pretty cool moment for sure yeah being an extrovert versus an introvert and dan was an extreme introvert right um, bad bad thing if you own a football team typically but um that that inherently doesn't mean that you're yeah. competent or anything like that. You know, we, we did have a little bit of fun on the show on Friday on the radio show after seeing some of the footage of Harris out there slapping fives and, you know, let's go like all that stuff. Yeah. And we were saying, like, you know, if you tossed a, a football at Josh Harris, he'd catch it. If you toss one at Dan Snyder, he'd like fumble it and possibly hit himself in the face with it. <laughs> and, but like. It, as funny as it is in terms of contrasting imagery, like at the end of the day, I would have to acknowledge that doesn't actually mean you can right. run a business. There's there's plenty of competent, very, very uh, good CEOs who would also fumble the football and hit wind up hitting themselves in the face with it. But there is what what I do think matters is like that in touch nature where he talked about, I'm sweating this. Like he's excited he owns an NFL team and they're that that is one of 32 to be a managing partner or one of 31. Cause the Packers have their conglomerate yeah. situation. Um, but one of 31, uh, that, that you are in the entire world. That's a very, very exclusive membership and it means something, but what it means is you have the job and now you have to do it. And the job is way more than signing checks. Yeah. And I think Harris, because of his prior experience understands that. And to me, the quote of the day, is and he said this both days um so the, the the quotes of the days is being a fan is not enough you know dan mm. was notoriously a fan and the quote from him uh when he bought the team when they were like well how are you going to run it like you know do you care about this whatever it was like i'm a fan and that's all there is to be said right like he wanted the team to win but that doesn't actually mean you know how to make it happen for josh to say hey i be, i'm a fan but being a fan is not enough acknowledges to me the the height of the climb that he's aware of it how how tough it's going to be that there's a lot of work to be done and that simply wanting it to happen and rooting isn't the job it's your job to go and find the right people to make the things happen to to bring that that desire for a result to reality yeah absolutely and i think like he's done it before like he know, like he's sweating it because he knows it you know what i'm saying like it's like when you got a hard workout coming up like you're sweating it because you know how hard it is. You know what I'm saying? Like you've been on that journey before. And that's something that I got a lot of respect for. And like when you look at the ownership group, like Magic, his success in the sports industry, and you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a smaller percentage owner or whatever. But like I think even having that is a huge deal. Like having that guy who's with that pedigree, the winning pedigree, and he said it's important for me to win. And I think Josh Harris has shown that he's got, uh, you know, winning is important to him as well. Like it's – there's something to having guys who've done it before and have a certain level of experience that I think is really, really important. And, you know, like just, I, I agree. I think they've, they're sweating it because they know how hard it is. They know it's a big lift, but at least they've been in this water before they've been in this deep water 
and they know how to swim in it as opposed to somebody who's like just jumping in the first time. They don't understand that there's waves and issues and sharks and stuff happening. Like it's, they're ready to go. So, yeah, there's something to that. Josh said that I'm curious to see how he follows through on again. This is not me doubting. It's just like, who's in the room ultimately. Really, um, yeah. yeah it, it, we just don't know, but he's saying the right things, right? How does it turn into practice? And, but he talked about having diversity in the ownership group and yeah. diversity in the organization. You know, we want to build a diverse organization. And obviously that is a, a phrase that like gets under a lot of people's skins and there's, it's, it's very charged politically, but like, let me explain to people who might not fully understand why that's important, right? Having multiple ideas at the table, and then an ability to discuss them and parse out whose idea is best or which parts of whose idea are best and ultimately come up with the best game plan is super important. And so having Magic Johnson, not just as a black man who understands a part of the community that perhaps Josh Harris doesn't, um, but having Josh Harris and understanding where, you know, where he comes from in the Bethesda area. And like when he's talking to his buddies, that part of the fan base, um, Magic's got all kinds of business ventures in PG County. And, you know, you have these different people from all around the region. Um, that's good because your fan base is wide and, and has a lot of diversity to it. So do you bring those different, um, you know, touch points to the table? Do you bring people's different life experiences, magics, you know, time in the NBA and other business ventures, rails work in different, you know, parts of it, Mark Ein's work, you know, Harris's work. But then also I think the thing that is good, that is kind of the un unstated part of this is they're actually not coming in at ground zero. Um, and I'll give Jason Wright credit, which is probably going to get me more trouble than pointing out, Hey, Josh talked about diversity because everyone wants to murder Jason for any number of reasons. And I'm not saying Jason's done a perfect job. Jason wouldn't tell you Jason's done a perfect job, but Jason has built an incredibly diverse group in the business side of that office. And there's also great diversity for whatever it's worth on the football side of it, including the only Hispanic coach in, in the league. But with Jason's folks in particular, the ones that are going to run the business side and kind of you know, be making a lot of decisions about where the franchise goes for everything but the players on the field. Having a group in place that is super highly accomplished, comes from a wide variety of backgrounds to mix with Josh and his people that are coming in, I think is a tremendous formula and should allow them to give or hit the ground running a lot sooner than if they had to go out and hire all these people. Because if you just had a bunch of people that worked for Dan Snyder and were the kind of people that worked for Dan Snyder for most of the 20 plus years of the franchise, not the best to say the least, um, I think you'd be you'd be years away from reaping some rewards that I think this this team can start reaping rather immediately on the business side of things. And you see the results already because like I think I saw over the weekend, like their suite sales and their ticket sales are higher now than they have been in years like mm. at least since 2017 if not higher and that's just on the heels of the announcement three days ago as we sit here recording this yeah and i think it's i think it just shows you how frustrated people were and how excited people are for change you know and i think you're right i think the diversity of the ownership group is is extremely important i think it's it's important regardless right it's important on a coaching staff it's important um in any kind of business venture you know you, you've got your own business thing you're working on right now craig like it's important to have different ideas in there you know just just people saying hey man like that's not been my experience then you kind of say well that's good to know and so um, i think that's great i think that it's it's good that it's a group it's not it's not one guy he's got some people to answer to and um i think that's awesome and i think i'm, I'm just i'm so happy for the fan base right now and again we don't know we don't know we don't know anything it's like day whatever three of this and it could yeah. be terrible, but I have a feeling that it just just something different is going to be beneficial for this group, for, for, for this organization, for this area, for this team. And to see the fans at the event, it reminded me a little bit of like 2012. You know, like when things are starting to like some positive news, you know what I'm saying? It's like some positive energy and atmosphere. Um, and that's great, you know, and that's great. And hopefully the team this year can win some football games and continue that and kind of ride this wave a little bit. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I think it's, I think it's going to be a cool, a cool thing for, for the area. And I, I, it feels like they've got the right types of guys. You know what I mean? Guys that have done it, guys that are experienced, guys that are successful in business. I know that's not the only thing, but I'm optimistic about it. So we'll see. 
Yeah. And guys that are open to learning about this business, everyone's a little different. The NBA is a little different than Major League Baseball, different than the NHL, different than, you know, running a soccer team, which Harris also has an ownership stake of in Crystal Palace over in England. Like every because of salary cap reasons, because of the nature of each sport in the mm-hmm. NBA, the only thing that matters is getting one of those dudes, uh, one of the six, seven best players on the planet. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it, you're, you're basically impossible to win in the NFL. Uh, I think I think we're potentially heading for a reckoning in a couple of years where, yeah, you have a quarterback, but you paid him so much money that the rest of your roster can't keep up. Like yeah. there's kind of that swing starting. And can you be ahead of that on the innovation front? So there's like there's just different business models. But I, I think to your point, the fan base side of it, the energy is incredible. Yeah. And I've been so I, I was so, so excited to see the turnout that we had on Thursday. Cause in some ways that was like the first test, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's like, okay, are people going to reserve their judgment? Are they going to go for this? And we have thousands of people coming through the bullpen to help us celebrate. Um, the energy in there was crazy. Um, people just overjoyed and it looked like that was not even any, like we put on a crazy good event. All our, all our, my bosses should be very proud of what they did. And I pretty sure that they are. Um, but what happened on Friday, man, like that was, I wasn't able to go out there because it was like a one o'clock thing when the show starts at four and DC traffic, good luck. Um, but man, that looked incredible on Friday. It was great. You know, and the turnout was great. I think anything, it was just like, you know, I'd say there was probably, I don't know, felt like, you know, kind of in the mid hundreds of people there, maybe a thousand, I don't know, something like that. Nothing crazy, but the people that were there were like so fired up. You know, like there was such a good energy there and um, made it made emceeing the event super easy because you just would say anything and people were like, oh, my gosh, this is the best day ever. You know, <laughs> and you could just kind of feel all that kind of uh, that pent up, you know, like malcontent kind of just wearing off. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your debt your weekly source for all things commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The thing I'd like to ask you, Craig, is just like, you know, what are some differences from like an ownership standpoint, like that fans should keep an eye out for? Because like, you know, a lot about basketball, you know, about roster construction. Like this feels like a totally different ball of wax because you have kind of like X's and O's, you have a personnel, you have all these different things you have to handle, which are very different from like soccer, hockey and basketball, quite frankly. So like, yeah, I mean, I think if I'm Harris looking at what his track record is, he likes to be on the cutting edge and he's not afraid to push things to a bit of an extreme. I mean, that was the whole deal with the process in Philadelphia, right? So people might've heard this term and I'm sure many listeners are aware of it. So I'll try to make this as quick as possible for those that don't. The process was the idea that they were going to completely tear it down. They had a team that had kind of an average roster. Um, they had a couple of players that were very good. Drew Holiday, um, Andre Iguodala, um, I think we're still there at that time. Like very good players, but not good enough to help you win a championship. And they didn't really have a good way to get to a championship roster. Um, many ways what the Wizards have been. Uh, so there's your comparison. And what they did was instead of the traditional, like we just got to keep trying and hope we get lucky. It's like, we're going to trade off these good pieces for parts. They don't fit our timeline to be able to win. 
and holiday was young at the time. It's like 23, 24, but his ceiling was not high enough that, that he was going to be the best player on a championship team. Mm. And what they did was intentionally be pretty bad for a couple of years. Um, and accumulate draft picks. And ultimately they wind up with Joel Embiid, who's the reigning MVP. But I think the, the part of that, that like that part of it is, is more well-known and doesn't really apply to football because you don't have to bottom out in the NFL. And that's been proven time and time again. The part that I think is interesting and will carry over is the strategy side of it. Do they find someone who's willing to say the analytics tell us these things are best. So we're going to dive hard into that. The way they played basketball in Philadelphia was a ton of threes, a ton of free throws, mm. very limited on on long twos, which is the shots that the analytics say are the most valuable ones. And so whether it's Rivera and Biennemi coming together and figuring out where the league is going and saying, hey, this is, this is what the most advantageous way to play is. We're going to lead a hard into it. Or Harris asking ultimately what is his job. I'm going to ask tough questions. If your answers aren't good enough, I'm going to replace you. That's where he makes the difference. And I don't think Snyder knew enough to ask the right questions. Yeah. Um, you know, that to me is where is where the rubber meets the road is as he has conversations in house and watches the team play this year, does he feel like they are at least ahead of where the league is going from a strategic standpoint right. and a player development standpoint? And if not, then I think he ultimately makes changes and tries to find whoever that person is that's going to come up with the next thing. Yeah, it'll be really relevant to our conversation for the last half of the show. But yeah, I think that's the interesting. That's that's super interesting because like it's it's so layered. And I, you know, I'm not saying you need a tank, but obviously, you know, like next year there's going to be some good quarterbacks. Caleb Williams probably the first pick sure. overall. Like, is that something you kind of make a move for? You know what I mean? And try to try to get a part of that if you're this new ownership group and talk about a way to seal a rebrand or whatever you're going to do next year. Like. Gosh, getting a franchise quarterback like that, that, that cures a lot of ales. And, um, yeah, I, I'm just super curious because, like, you know, like how they handle all that stuff. So, right. um, well, the, it comes down defensively too, right? Like, yeah. it's not just the – we always talk about offense, but, like, are they ahead of where they need to be defensively? Like, it's every funny, part of the team is going to be under scrutiny – you know, and we talked about this obviously a lot the last couple of weeks with all the play caller stuff, but like how influential were Vic Fangio and Brandon Staley and all these defensive coordinators who did funky stuff or what previously was thought to be funky stuff to help shut down the Shanahan's, the yeah. McVeighs, and the McDaniels. Like, can they get one of those guys? Like, that's that to me is the question. But then the other part of it too that he mentioned is like the sports science side. They are so behind on that because of lack of investment. They have smart people here that are good at that stuff. Yeah. But like, do you have? the investment on the sports science side where this team has been so injured so often, can you increase your winning by sheer availability being better? Yeah. Like these are the kinds of things that are going to matter. Yeah. I'm, I'm really curious. And, you know, like to, to speaking to defensive point, like it's so funny, man. Like, you know, Jack Del Rio is not considered like, you know, I think perception wise, like an overly innovative guy, but when you look at what he's doing defensively, like he's kind of right there in terms of stuff that people are doing. That's like pretty high level. So um, you know, like it's, it's, it's kind of goes against convention a little bit, but he's been pretty innovative and, and pretty ready to change over the last couple of years. But, uh, yeah, I agree, man. It's the sports science stuff, the, uh, everything it's, I'm just so super curious to see, and it's going to, it's not going to be like overnight. It's going to take probably two years to figure out what they're doing, but man, like I, I really am curious to see how you, how you rebuild something like this from an ownership perspective. Cause I think we often see like, we see a GM come in, we see a head coach come in and those processes are a little bit more familiar, but here it's like, it's like, what do you even do? Cause this is such a rare thing in the NFL. So I'm really curious to see what happens. And obviously, you know, like you look at Carolina and they're probably the most recent example of a, of a team sale and they've, I don't want to say they botched it, but it hasn't gone great, you know? And so, you know, making good decisions with the head coach and the leadership and the coordinators. And uh, like you mentioned, strength staff, analytics, all that stuff is going to be super, super interesting. I'm hopeful that Josh Harris will avoid new owner syndrome because he's not a new owner. He's a new NFL owner, but like right. Tepper never been in charge right. of a team right. before. Right. Right. And like Mark Cuban is considered a very good owner in the NBA. Like when, when Cuban got to Dallas, he did so many dumb things. Like 
terrible. He signed Rafe LaFrentz to like a seven year max contract and like it killed them for years. There's just like all this stuff that they did um, that was silly. And a lot of new owners do that, right? Tepper comes in. He's like, I know better. All these stupid NFL owners yeah. I'm waiting for my shot. I got it. I'm going to hire Matt rule. Yeah. Whoops. Whoops. Like, so what do you do when you get the power? And I think this is where I was really impressed with Harris, where he just seems to be very level-headed. Yeah. Um, and even though he kind of did a version of this in Philadelphia, like there was strategy behind yeah. it. It wasn't like I'm doing something new and different and I'm smarter than everyone else. It's just like, hey, we all agree this is the best strategy, right? Why is no one fully going for right. it? And he went for it. And so I... Like, I don't think he's going to go hire some. Now, maybe I'm eating my words a year from now as we're on the verge of training camp with insert college coach here. But, like, I don't think he's going to go hire some college coach to to come in. Like, he understands that these are adults and that they need a certain type of coach. And, um, you know, there's a professionalism that is necessary in the franchise. And I also think someone like Magic is is super helpful there. Like, Magic's main role, Magic said this, is going to be in the community, right? Yeah. He's, he's already done a ton of business in D.C., um, there's, you know, movie theaters he's opened, uh, you know, he's been in, in other, uh, types of, whether it's philanthropy or business dealings in the DC area. And so there's connections he has that are super helpful, but like if, if they go to hire a dumb coach and magic's like, look, man, like this is not, this ain't it. Um, then that guy's probably not getting hired. Um, and, and so I think that the, that is also good in terms of some of the, Let's call it the fail safes, some of the barriers that are in place with the diversity in this ownership group in terms of having a, a strong number or, or a strong influence from a, a small but not overly limited number of people. Yeah, that makes sense. And even in like the uh, what is that? The what's the name of the podcast? Jordan Rodriguez, uh, the signal. No, the, no, the play callers, uh, the play callers like they talked about you know, the hiring process for like Sean McVay. And it was so different than what I expected. I thought it would be like this super kind of well-organized, but it's like, oh, like, you know, the owner really likes what this guy's got to say. So we had to sell him, you know, and it was like Marshall Falk, remember? And like, mm -hmm. I don't know, just like, can you eliminate some of that stuff and kind of make sure you've got but the But that right stuff happens. I and know right, it if, does. If, <laughs> thing is though, like if it's Marshall Falk and Marshall Falk's judgment is excellent, then that works. And if it's Marshall Falk is terrible at this, then it doesn't work. Like sometimes that's it. Yeah. It's, it's not like, of course, it's always the process of it. No pun intended. But like, it's also the who in the process. Yeah. And I would trust even for an NFL head coach, I would trust Magic Johnson's judgment on key parts of that because Magic has done nothing but win his entire life. Yeah. And so there, there's I think I think that some of the people they have in place, their BS detectors are high. Their track records are strong. Um. And, and that's, those are good guardrails to have. Um, now you still have to get the football side, right? And that's the hardest part because who do you trust that has like a good football acumen? You know, who, it, who is the Marshall Falk that becomes the confidant of Josh Harris? That is the really smart, innovative football brain that can yeah. help lead you to the right place. Or are you hiring a search firm or however you go yeah. about it? Be, um, again, that'll be interesting that, too. Those are, do that, yeah. those are tough, tough questions that I think are down the road, obviously, because they are going to stick with who they have right now. And that we shouldn't get too far ahead of that either. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And I, that's another one of those interesting pieces in the process. Like there's so many things that are going to happen. And like, I just can't wait to see because again, we're, I, it's so familiar. New GM, this is what we do, right? We accrue draft picks. We, we, we build through the draft, whatever, whatever. Head coach, like we bring in an innovative offensive philosophy. That seems to be the way to go. Ownership, I haven't seen a successful owner transition in a while. So I'm hoping that this group can get that done and give us a really solid data point. So really looking forward to it. Yeah. One of the things that I think would be interesting is talking to some of the other teams in town. Now, I don't know how much the Wizards are going to want to talk to Josh Harris because he owns the Sixers. Um, but like the Wizards are going through this a little bit with I the like new GM and president they have of like, yeah, it turns out you guys are super behind. And like that's Ted had a willingness to spend. I don't think the people in charge were up enough to know what to spend on. Right. Um, and so now Will Dawkins and Michael Winger come in to people that helped build the Oklahoma City Thunder into the premier organization when it comes to infrastructure in the entire NBA. The Clippers uh, are also right there who Winger helped build after he left Oklahoma City. That's part of the reason he got hired there. So now they come to D.C. and they're like, yeah, this practice facility that you were super proud of is actually not that cool. Um, and so there's things like that that are happening behind the scenes. And I think 
picking the brain of other teams in town could be smart. Um, the Washington spirit, same thing. They go through an ownership change and they have done more hiring by percentage than I think probably it has to be the highest in professional sports. Like they, they, the way they've turned over their franchise and brought in someone like Don Scott, who is the premier like strength and conditioning coach in the women's soccer world. Like they hired her and let her hire a staff. So right. like, what does, what does the NFL version of that look like? Because there just aren't a lot of roadmaps with NFL teams. Cause most NFL teams are, have been spending bukus of money and are on the cutting edge already. Well, this team has been left behind. So, you know, between getting people from other organizations that have done it well, picking the brains of people in other sports in and out of town, how do you ultimately build the the optimized plan moving forward? That's what this organization has to figure out. They got to figure out who the right people are to run it. Um, but it definitely seems like Josh Harris understands that. Mm -hmm. And those are the types of things he's thinking about over the next year on top of some of the other, you know, the name and the branding and the stadium. They've obviously got to figure out all of that kind of stuff. Totally agree. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, flipping gears here on Take Command. Let's talk. Let's talk X's and O's. Let's talk football and and how this team ultimately progresses on the field. And Logan, we perhaps more than anyone else have talked about how uh, the scheme change this year uh, one was necessary. We spent a lot of time breaking down some of the the shortfalls last season, but then the ways that we think Eric Bieniemy can help. Sam Howell can help this offensive line. I know you were listening to another podcast recently that talked yeah. about some of these things that gave you some ideas and, and some of the key points uh, that we can apply to the commander. So first, let's shout out whoever you're listening yeah, to. So the, that way, the, yeah, ringer, we, the ringer, they did a uh, the ringer NFL show. Yeah, okay. and it was, it was, it's well done. And so like, I will say yeah. one of the things about those guys is they're not like, they are football guys, but they haven't, they don't coach. They're like more analytics based guys. And so mm -hmm. their observations, I think, are very unique because like their observations are super like formational based, super um, kind of personnel based. And so, like, you know, their conclusion was like teams are going to be in 11 more, which is, you know, through wide receivers, one uh, tight end, one back. Great. I agree with that. Teams are going to be in um, the gun more. Great. Agree with that. And one of the reasons they were kind of saying it's because you're getting this man match coverage and it's really hard for the quarterback to turn his back to the defense. Also agree with that. You're going to see a little bit less RPO, which I agree with because RPO, I think, kind of is not as good as your quick game. It's not as good as a true run game, and teams are getting better at playing it. I agree with it. I think that their conclusions on, on you know, like the benefits of certain things kind of overlook a really critical element, you know? And I think, like, when you talk about offensive innovation, like, it's not it, – there is innovation when it comes to route concepts and formations, hundred percent. Right. Cause you know, you're breaking rules. I think a great example is in the Detroit game last year versus the commanders where, you know, they, they kind of, they, they motion to a change of strength and they motion to a bunch. And then William Jackson, the third and Benjamin St. Juice on the same, aren't on the same page. And Amon Ross St. Brown is over the middle on a dig like that. You're getting beat with the pen there. And th there will always be innovation there. I think the thing that I, if, if there's one element of offensive innovation that I think is so important, for fans to understand, like, you know, we're talking about Harris and looking forward to the future. We're talking about um, this year with Eric B is pass protection, right? Obviously like being in the gun is important, right? It's, it allows the quarterback to see, keep his eyes on the defense in a way that you can't do necessarily from under center. Like that's the value of that. However, like you got to make sure you protect it, right? Cause blitz packages, rushes, defensive personnel is just are they're just getting better in that category so i don't care how good your quarterback is like they i don't care if they're exceptional if you can't protect up front like you're going to be in a lot of trouble so to me that is the thing that's interesting because they say oh, teams are kind of moving away from true play action pass stuff and i don't know if i totally agree with it i think the role of play action pass is slightly changing 
Does that make sense, Greg? It's not, it's mm-hmm. not what it was with Kyle, where it's like, we're run, 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 play action, play action, very limited drop back stuff. It is a feature of the offense from this kind of gun centric approach, you know? And so I think the thing that I came away with was like, you know, they kept saying in the podcast, I, they need to, um, you know, find ways to get play action concepts into gun and teams have done that. It's fine. But the thing that allows them to do that is they've changed protections. And we've talked with Eric Bieniemy. I've watched a lot of Kansas city film with Andy Reed. Like one of the things they do an excellent job of with that is they do a great job with like chip help by the backs, the tight ends and working slides. And so chip help is basically like, I'm sure people kind of know what that is, but it's basically like, you know, the, let's say, I've got five down linemen. I've got two backs in the backfield, like in a split back. I, with those backs, can protect the edges of that pocket by rushing them right at the outside rusher and forcing them to the tackle. And it just gives the tackle a little bit of an advantage so that they can win the down. And that's ultimately what you want to do, right? And so what I will say is Eric Bieniemy, Andy Reid, the, the guy in Detroit, um, has done a great job of, of getting to these deeper concepts by utilizing chip help and by utilizing slide protections and other things like that. So to me, the innovation, yeah, there's been a formational shift, right? And a prioritizing uh, of this gun philosophy because the quarterback's got to see what's going on. But to me, the real innovation and the real kind of adjustment has come in the protection, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, there's a ton there um, that I think is interesting. Let's let's work our way backwards and hope yeah. I remember the other things I want to ask. Yeah. But the, the chip help part of it, um, I think it's pretty interesting because I feel like fans all the time, like your, your fan who cares about protection, the yeah. one who does more than yell, <laughs> ah, they God, they got sacked again. The one who's like, got sacked again. Yeah. Why don't they do X? The first thing they go to is like, why don't you chip? Yeah. Um, wh- but there's also a downside to that, correct? which is you are delaying your back getting out of the backfield um, and potentially throwing the timing of whatever you're doing off. You can't like if you get a little chip, then maybe the routes on time. You get a big chip. The back could fall over. Right. Um, sure. Congrats. You have now. Uh, gotten your successful contact on your chip, but your you know, 20% of your eligible receivers are no longer a factor in, in the down. And, you, um, and, and that's something that. that I remember talking about with Sean um, when he was here because, you know, oh, keep a back, especially you keep a back in to protect. Right. You only get five eligibles. And so there's there's a different set of challenges um, that, that are presented here. And there are some tackles that don't really like chip help. Um, so this is knowing your personnel as well, because it's like, Hey, just leave me alone and let me do my thing yep. versus, okay. I know the chip is coming. I can set a little farther inside. So, and from a, and can I just from a, right like a concept, real quick? Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say from a concept standpoint, I think these are some of the factors that don't necessarily present themselves on the surface that OCs have to think about, but the more you use them, you see the innovation and ultimately they're, they're mastered better. And I think that's hopefully what you're starting to see in the league. Yeah. And so I think that's the thing is like, yeah, it, it is limiting. Right. But if you think about like play action pass concepts, it's like a two man, three man route combination that needs to kind of overload coverages in a specific way. So like one that is one that I saw, which I really, really liked that Detroit ran, was basically what they call like a Miami concept. So basically like the receiver to the right runs like a 15-yard sit. And in quarters, that safety to that side is going to attach to that, right? And you know that because it's in like kind of that weird depth where it's not 10, it's not 20, he's got to buy it, right? And so what they did is to the other side, they run like a deep post. And it's not like a traditional post, it's like an angle, like running across the field. And so he's running that deep post on a quarter safety, right? And so that other side of the field is completely open. The problem is that this is a very long developing concept. So like, how do you get to it, right? So what Detroit did is they work a slide protection. So they slide the offensive line right, which helps the offensive line. So that right tackle gets slide help. You have the tight end off the ball, sift back across the formation and chip the defensive end with running back help. And so you are kind of in this weird like max pro, but because the back's there to help the tight end, the back can get out to the flat and have flat control for this other route concept over. It's like basically a curl, right? So like if I was going through the routes, it's like deep sit, post, curl, chip to the flat, right? So you you are gaining a two-level throw to the left there if you need it, but it is happening later in the down. You're really trying to hit the home run here to this deep post. And that protection works great. 
because you're helping the right tackle, you're helping the left tackle, and you're helping the tight end. And so you've allowed Jared Goff enough vision to the field to make this throw. And it's not off a play action. It's on third and 10. And you've allowed, you've added it. What uh, what Mike McDaniel says is you've added a hitch, right? So you've gotten back there. Mm -hmm. I've done my five-step drop for, or it's three-step from the gun. And I can hitch and I can hitch one more time and launch this football down the field just because of this protection design, right? So just chipping is not the answer. I need a well-reasoned concept that is going to get open on the second hitch. If I don't do that, like let's say, for example, like Scott Turner did this a ton last year, and I know he's not here anymore. I'm not, this is not like a rain on Scott Turner parade here, but like when you run three verticals, right? Because we just talked about three eligible receivers, they came up with this concept called Miami, I'm going to call it, right? They run three verticals into the teeth of the defense. There is no conflict for the defense. Like if you're in cover three, and you're running verticals, those corners are just going to get really deep with those verticals. The post safety is going to stay right there, and there's no conflict. So I could chip all day. I could chip a million times. I could, you know, like the quarterback could chip. I don't know, right? Like there's no way that they're going to get open versus that coverage. You need like a well-reasoned pass concept that manipulates the coverage you're expecting and gives the quarterback an opportunity to throw the football. Right. Well, and it also accounts for the timing differences and things that I talked about, right? If that, if yes. that check or if that chip player is the last player in the progression, right. uh, even they have, they could fall down while chipping and still get up and probably still get open. Yeah. Um, occasionally that doesn't happen. Your quarterback has to eat it, but it is what it is. But you've also, like you said, you've created some real issues for the defense that hopefully, uh, it's, it's a smarter route concept. So that was one of the, the things that I think, you know, where the innovation helps, right? You yeah. think of some of the problems with some of the things that we're talking about in the past, the innovation solves the problem. Yeah. So the next problem that I would raise that has been an issue in the past with this concept, concept being a large term here that we're talking about is play action out of the gun typically hasn't been very effective. No. Um, play action when the quarterback does not turn their back and like really, you know, show the ball typically doesn't actually get the bite that you're, you're after the token fakes don't have the same effect on the defense. Now the problem with when, Hey, we want to run play action. Our quarterback needs to turn his back to the defense is your quarterback's turning his back to the defense. When he turns around it, he's got to create a picture versus, you know, I'm riding this fake and getting to right. scan while I, I ride the fake. How have teams gotten around that to make it worthwhile to have the play action in the first place? Yeah. So I think that, um, so yeah, it's a really, really good question. So let's just start with like what we were just talking about with like chip help, right? So when I'm running these like deep play action concepts with chip help, right? I'm not getting the same draw from the linebackers or on the linebackers. I'm not putting them in conflict in the same way. So as a quarterback, I have to understand, and this is obviously coaching, right? They're going to get some depth. And then all of a sudden those chip players, which are kind of, you know, forgotten thoughts in most people's offenses become your primary read. So you'll see like with Kansas City, for example, like if Mahomes is a is a magician, right, that he can fit balls wherever they need to go. But let's say he can't, he'll check the ball down to like Isaiah Pacheco, like a 15-yard gain and a first down because everybody's gotten under these like deeper, longer developing concepts. So that's one thing. Also, like you look around, you see like, oh, like you've got these token fakes now, right? But how you run the fake is also important. So like, for example, when I was watching, when I was prepping for this, I was watching um, Cincinnati and they brought the tight end in motion to kind of a fullback spot, had him ISO on the linebacker. That token fake all of a sudden has some more teeth to it, you know, just by giving it a little bit more action. So the linebacker comes up and fits the tight end. The The back doesn't even touch the football. The, the fake is terrible. But I remember when I was with Kyle, he used to say something like, it's not the action necessarily. It's what they're seeing from the combinations up front. That's the thing that kind of like is the Pavlov's dogs thing. It like just triggers the linebacker, right? So if that's good and on this fake, like the fake is terrible, the ball fake's terrible, but the action's really strong. Then you get T Higgins on a dig where that linebacker is supposed to be. And it's an easy completion for Joe Burrow, right? So like they are finding ways to increase and improve the actions, those kind of token fake actions from the backfield. Like I think another one is Mahomes and Kansas City. They'll run like a jet sweep action. And they'll just kind of the quarterback's eyes are directly on the field and just have him go like run the ball with the with the jet sweep and the linebackers will move. And it's like they found ways to get harder actions for the linebackers 
um, off of some different kind of looks with the play action. And I do think like when you look at Detroit, for example, or San Francisco, like we've talked about, they still run a ton of under center play action because they run the ball a ton. But it's just about when they get to that. It's like, it's like this is our haymaker. We got to hit it, right? We got to ensure that we hit it. And I think that's where play action, the role has kind of shifted. You're getting into because like third downs a down, you got to win. You got to be in the gun. You got to find a way to protect it. That's kind of what we're talking about. But first and second down, um, that play action is still a, a very potent weapon, I think. Does that answer your question, Greg? Yeah. So I guess this leads to my other big bugaboo with play action, which is when teams run play action fakes off of runs they don't actually run. Because to me, that would be like, the way that you get around, okay, it's a token fake, but like if it's a run, you actually run and it looks the same. And no matter how good the ball fake is, if my key as a linebacker is to see this, you know, running back taking a certain track or a tight end pulling a certain way, uh, the guard, obviously the offensive line on a uh, play action is, is going to look like they're run blocking for a second before they, they get into their pass sets, at least theoretically um, that that's how that works. If I'm reading that key and it looks like something that's run, the ball fake doesn't matter. The ball sure. fake is the least important part of that. Right. So is that a part of what's also happening yeah. here is you're seeing better marry of run and pass games. And that, that for some reason is an innovation that no, that a lot of offensive coordinators used to not care about that. It's like, yeah, we don't run outside zone, but the play actions off it are great. So we're going to fake it all the time. Yeah. And any moderately intelligent defender could figure out that it was going to be play action. Yeah. It's, that's an interesting question. And like, you know, when I was with Kyle, like we had a run, it was called, uh, what was it? It was uh 15, 15, 14, 15 Wanda Y man from the gun. So it would have been 30, 34, 35. Right. And we did not run that run at all. We never ran that run. We ran the play action pass a ton and we coached the, the crap out of the play action. And we were so good at running the fake that the linebackers would fit it every single time. So, you know what I mean? I think there is a, maybe a school of thought that, you know, like, okay, for example, you mentioned the outside zone thing. I think that's a really potent point. Like you need to run some version of that run. Like we ran tight zone. Do you know what I'm saying? Like we, we did run a version of that. So it wasn't like, oh, we've never run tight zone before in our whole lives. Let's throw it in right now. We've run tight zone. It just didn't run that exact run. So I do think you have to have something in the bag that resembles what your play action faking. I just don't think you need to like, so for example, like if we want to run outside zone, we don't need to run the exact mirror. So let's say for example, we're running like pass 18, uh, you know, F sift. Like that's, we don't need to run that run, but we can run that as a play pass, but the outside zone action is still going to work. Does that, does that make sense what I'm saying? It's like you don't need to yeah, run. it's got to be similar enough. Yeah, don't need to run the exact run, but you need to have something that says, oh, I got to go. And I think when you look at Kansas City, for example, one of the things that I find fascinating about that offense and the way they've solved the problem is they don't do a ton of like hard play action fakes. Oftentimes the tackles are like pass setting almost, but the backfield action is so aggressive, like with the jet sweep and then the ball fake to the back that – the, the, the D line knows it's passed, so they start pass rushing, but the linebackers are f- trying to fit those different keys and you get them to kind of step up in the line of scrimmage. So I think there are different ways to get there, obviously. And I think, but it, to your point and to this innovation point, it's how do you get there given your personnel, you know? And so like in Kansas city, their old line was, was pretty good. You know, their tackles were okay. They emphasized chipping t- chip help for the tackles, this violent jet sweep, kind of token fake action worked really well for them, partially because they have Patrick Mahomes. But um, I think that that is really interesting. And then in this podcast, again, kind of just totally off the tangent, Kansas City ran more 13 runs, more 13 personnel runs than any team in the NFL last year. You know, like, so there's this kind of confluence of like, can I get in a big personnel to match the nickel? Can I use personnel to influence? But I do think that kind of at the core of everything, it's if I want to pass the football, how do I insulate the pass? Is it play action? Is it quick game? Is it screen? Is it token fake? Is it jet sweep action? And I need to practice it enough that I'm really good at it. And from a protection standpoint. Right. And that was, you know, the jet sweep one is kind of what made me think of all this too, because there were definitely times last year where they'd go games without running it and you'd see teams just yeah. wouldn't react. You know, the, the fake is haphazard where you watch Kansas City and it's like, yeah, it's we're going to run a jet sweep two, three times a game. 
Um, so you better be ready for it all time. And Mahomes might not even have to actually fake the jet sweep. Yeah. Just the, the, the guy running yeah, by is enough to move the linebackers. Yeah. And, and that's kind of to your point of like, when you realize what it is, to me, this is the innovation and, and see if I've distilled this properly, right? But to me, the actual innovation is realizing what it is that the defense is reacting to and yeah. manipulating that. Right. It's not, it's not, Hey, we got to do this fake handoff thing uh, because the handoff is not actually what anybody's looking at. It's right. realizing that it's where the guard goes, where the jet sweep guy goes yeah. um, or whatever. And, yeah. and manipulating the actual thing that is being reacted to, which goes to an understanding of defense that for, I think a lot of NFL history, offensive coaches kind of didn't care about. They right. just, like we're going to dictate and they'll react. And now as we saw in play callers and, and what we've, we've seen uh, just by our observations, you have a group of offensive coaches that understands defenses better. And that's also coincided with defenses becoming more complex and there, there being a need to do that yeah. and then trying to manipulate that, which leads to this secular or this um, uh, like kind of circular hmm. nature of innovation. Right. One thing re cyclical is more what I'm saying of one thing reacts to the next, reacts to the next, reacts to the next. Yeah. And I think I, I so yeah, I totally agree. That's a hundred percent. Right. And I think that's, what's characterizing innovation. And I think your personnel characterize it, right. Cause Kyle with his like fullbacks and tight ends is innovating differently than, you know, the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow. But I also think like when you're talking about the past game specifically, it's, it's the, the innovation is, you know, route concepts are super, you know, I, I don't, there's only a certain number of route concepts you can do. The thing that makes it go is the protection for the quarterback. And that is where you have to be really, really sharp. And I think that's where EB, at least through OTAs and minicamp, has shown an understanding of chip help, alignment, like, you know, like just putting guys in tight splits, quick game, screens, a little bit of RPO stuff, right? Like all that stuff adds up so that when I do take my shot, the old line's in a good spot. So like, that's something that I think is, and it's not, it's not, that's not even an indictment of personnel. That's across the league. Like Philly has the best O-line in football. They can do whatever they want, right? They have Lane Johnson. They have Jordan Mailata. They have an excellent group, right? They're, they're dominant. But when you look at even like Cincinnati, when you look at uh, the 49ers, when you look at Kansas City, even like you have to find a way to insulate that group so you can push the ball down the field. And that's, that to me is, is what I think they kind of missed is a lot of teams, yes, they're getting in the gun more. But the thing that is allowing that is the sequencing of plays and protecting and insulating the offensive line. So that's kind of what I would say, just adding my two cents to that. Uh, no, it's, it's really good. Yeah. Uh, glad we talked about that because now we get to track it all yeah, season long. Right. Uh, starting with Wednesday's practice. Uh, there is a practice on Wednesday. It's not open to the public. First uh, open practice that you all can go to as fans is Thursday. Uh, but depending on our recording schedule, Logan and I might be able to react to the first practice. But we'll really treat the pod uh, later this week as a training camp preview. Yeah. Kind of a refresher every single thing that you need to know going into training camp, all the position battles, all the key storylines, there will be the ultimate training camp primer that is a must listen to for every Commanders fan. So that is coming up later this week. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, and you're watching it, especially on YouTube, go ahead and hit that like button. Subscribe, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening somewhere else. If you're not already subscribed, it's it's subscription season, Logan. Now is the time <laughs> if you need to listen every week. Football is back, baby, and we'll be back later this week here on Take Command.